reading today is uh, Romans 8, beginning at verse 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body... You will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The word of the Lord. Now, I just want to share you a true story from, uh, I think it was a few years ago now. There's a slide for this one, Robert, thank you. Um, A Romanian court has ruled that a 63-year-old man is dead. Despite what would appear to be convincing evidence to the contrary, the man himself appearing alive and well in court. Constantin Relu asked the court to overturn a death certificate obtained by his wife after he'd spent more than a decade in Turkey, during which time he was out of contact with his family. The court told him he was too late and would have to remain officially deceased. I'm officially dead, although I'm alive, a bemused Relu told local media outlets. He planned to renew his passport, but on arrival, he was detained by immigration officers who informed him he had died in 2003. The ruling is apparently final and cannot be appealed against. Poor Constantine. So he was sure, he's sure he's alive, but he's being told by the state that he's dead. As Christians, we often have the opposite problem. We need help being convinced that we're not dead in our sin, but we're alive, eternal life, 
in Christ. We need help convincing that we're not dead, but we're alive. Because our struggle is real, isn't it? You know, we come to faith in Jesus, we put our trust in him, and at first it's pure joy, and you really hate sin. But then, inevitably, we go wrong. We do things we know we shouldn't. Old attitudes and habits become, seem really, really hard to throw off. And in the chapter before this, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Romans, he said, chapter 7, verse 15, this is, I call this the do-do, do-do-do-do verses. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, there's lots of debate amongst clever people about whether Paul is talking about himself before he was a Christian or since he's been a Christian here. But the fact is, every Christian's felt like that, haven't we? And it leads us, leaves us needing assurance. It leaves us asking the question, how can I be sure I'm saved if I keep on sinning? So this is why the Apostle Paul has written Romans 8, to help us to have complete assurance of our salvation. So chapter 8 begins, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And near the end of the chapter, he says, verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're a Christian here today and you go away with less certainty of your salvation, I haven't done my job. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today and you're still you leave still comfortable that the life you've chosen is safe, then I haven't done my job. So there's an outline in your leaflets there. And what we'll be focusing on is the role the Holy Spirit plays in giving us that assurance in face of our real struggle with sin. So it's new life, new governor, and new leader. That's where we're heading. All right, first up, the Holy Spirit brings us new life. The Holy Spirit brings to us, makes real in us, everything Jesus has done for us. Verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now look, this is really important. This is so certain. So let's hammer it home by, let's all say it together. The verse on the screen there, yeah? Altogether, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? No. No. Good. Why is there no condemnation? Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the law of sin and death there, that means that left to our own devices... We're all heading to physical and spiritual death because of sin, because of our prideful rebellion against God. We could never save ourselves by keeping God's law. So if we say, let's play, everyone know how to play rock, paper, scissors? Are you ready? On three. One, two, 
Three. Okay. Do scissors beat rock? No. Because rock is too hard, isn't it? It blunts the scissors. Our hearts are too hard to obey God's law on our own. And so we end up heading for death. But Jesus came and lived the perfect life. And so he was the acceptable offering for our sin. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, fully human, yet without sin. Jesus became what we are so that we could become what he is. Perfect and fully pleasing to God. He became what we are so that we could become what he is. Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So us who live according to the spirit. That's, if you're a Christian, that's you. You live according to the spirit. And the law being fully met, that isn't something we do. That isn't saying that because we have the Holy Spirit, we can expect to become so holy in this life that we completely obey God's law. Now, that is a good aim, and that is how we will be in eternity. But the law being fully met in us is what Jesus has done for us. We live according to the Spirit who gives us life because the Holy Spirit in us brings in, makes real and effective in us what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit is like the conduit between Jesus uh, in heaven now and what he did 2,000 years ago, bringing that into us making, us, making it real and effective. So that's the law of the Spirit in verse 2. And that means there is no condemnation. So what's the, don't, don't say this out loud, just think in your head. What's the worst thing you have done in your life? The thing you feel most guilty or embarrassed or ashamed about. If you're in Christ, that thing does not condemn you anymore. Because you're no longer defined by the law of sin and death that we deserve. But as one who lives according to the Spirit, who has, past tense, who has already set you free, giving you life. There is no condemnation. So the Spirit gives us new life, and the Spirit is our new governor, our second heading. Our new governor. The Holy Spirit has given you a new mindset. Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So this, we've got this contrast between flesh and spirit. So flesh in some translations, so the translation Robin read for us um, is translated sinful nature. Uh, the best way to understand it is referring to our humanity in its narrowest sense without reference to God. So it's not saying our material bodies themselves are inherently bad. I mean, they are where sin takes place, but they're not inherently bad. Now, what makes 
what makes me sin, if you read Mark 8 and Jesus' account of our heart, what makes me sin is me, my heart. So my flesh is me without, without Christ, if you like. So if you read flesh, you could read me without Christ. But because we're sinful, our living dominated by our own minds leads to death. But if you're a Christian, you have the spirit who governs instead. You've got a new governor. Now, at this point, you might say to me, well, hang on a minute. I, I thought you were trying to give me some assurance here. If only you knew the state of my mind, the struggle I have to keep, to keep it off what my flesh desires, how I strive and make plans to do the right thing, to pray and read the Bible, and fail because my mind moves on to other things. Doesn't that show that my mind is not governed by the spirit? That, my, that I'm governed by the flesh? Doesn't that show I might not have the spirit? That I might not even be saved? I reckon even the seemingly most godful and faithful Christians have felt like that at some point in their life. The struggle's really real, isn't it? But the thing about it, Paul wrote Romans chapter 8, didn't he? If there's no defeat, no failure... Why did God have him write this? Well, here it is. And it's here for us in our struggle. So be encouraged. Your struggle is a sign of life. If you're feeling that tension, that's a good thing. Because you only feel that tension because the Holy Spirit has given, given it you. And he's your new governor. Because the Holy Spirit's given you a taste of life and peace that will be perfected in the future. Um, he's... He's giving you that taste of knowing you're secure for eternity in Christ. So you only care about the fact that you sin at all because by the Spirit, you're no longer hostile to God. The Spirit gives you love for God and the power to begin to obey Him. So do you have the Spirit? Be assured. If you're a Christian, yes, you do. Paul tells us straight in verse 9, you whoever are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So if you belong to Christ, you do have the spirit. So at one Christmas, we bought our boys uh, Nintendo 3DS, little games consoles things. And we got home, really exciting, only to discover there's no plug with it. No way to charge it or power it. I had to go back to Target and buy the power separately. And lots of people will teach or talk about the Holy Spirit like that. That you come to faith in Jesus, but then that you need some sort of separate event to get the power, to get the Spirit. Well, let's be absolutely clear. If you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit as a gift is part and parcel of every Christian coming to faith. He's included in the package. You don't have to go back later to get the power. No exceptions. Paul puts it like this in his letter to Titus. Titus 3 verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by... The Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, 
so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit is there at your salvation, and he never, ever goes away. At verse 5, having your mindset, is talking about the basic direction of our will, what dominates our being. So until we die or Christ returns, we will always struggle with sin. Our flesh, our sinful nature, ourself, will always be at work, always be niggling in the background, but it won't win. Have you ever seen someone uh, who looks like their dog? Yeah, you see them around sometimes, don't you? Or sometimes you meet married couples who start looking like one another. Yeah? Uh, working in the hospital for years, I noticed that people who chain smoked start to look like a cigarette. They go like really pale and have sort of orangey hair. <laughs> Over time, constantly, patiently, the spirit is at work in us to make us more like Jesus. Changing our minds so that they're more and more set on what he desires. You might be feeling right now like your mind is stuck, like you're not growing as a Christian or going backwards even. What we can promise is that God promises he will change you by his spirit. He will give you life. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. He, the Spirit, is our basis of confidence for change. On our own, we're powerless to change. But the same Spirit, which verse 11, raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit is in us. And if he's powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, if he's powerful enough to raise us bodily when Christ returns, he's surely powerful enough to govern our minds. So as you struggle, be assured that your struggle is a sign of life and growth. And keep asking God to dominate your mind by his spirit. Conversely, if you're not a believer, a common objection to Christianity is, well, I'm no angel, but I'm not a sort of big ticket sinner. I'm generally a good person. And we can all think of people who are just really good and likable, but are not Christian. But there's a warning in verse 8. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Not because God is grumpy and unreasonable, but because God is perfectly good, perfectly loving. He has to be set against sin in his very nature. And however much of a minor note sin seems in someone's life, if they're not living for God... They're living for themselves in the realm of the flesh and so are hostile to God. Might be in a really nice way, but hostile to God. And given Jesus has done everything needed to save us and sent his spirit to help live this life pleasing God, if we'll accept him, why hold out? So our struggle with sin is no longer a hopeless case because the Spirit is our 
new leader. Our third point, excuse me. Spirit is our new leader. The Holy Spirit leads us away from sin and towards crying out to God as our Father. Away from sin, towards crying out to God as our Father. First of all, then, away from sin. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So the other day, my old boss from the Royal Adelaide Hospital where he used to work, he called. He said, Colin, we're really desperate for staff uh, next Sunday morning. I've tried everyone, but no one else is available. Uh, So you'll have to come in and do a shift in the CT scanner, okay? I said, but I don't work for you anymore. I'm not even registered as a professional anymore, even if I could remember how to do it, which I don't think I can. I'm not legally allowed to. Oh, it doesn't matter, said my boss. I insist. You've got to be there next Sunday morning, so I'll see you all later, okay? Now, of course, that's silly. I've got no obligation to my former employer anymore. I mean, it used to, when I was employed there, it did it used to feel inevitable that you get called in when lots of people are off sick, and it felt like I couldn't resist the urge to go in sometimes. But now, even if I did feel like going into work there, my obligations lie elsewhere. I'm not even legally entitled to work there. And while I miss aspects of that job, I know I'm doing the best thing for me to be doing here, now. The temptation to live according to the flesh, to sin, to our old self, that'll always be there. But it's no longer inevitable. It's no longer hopeless to resist. Because we're resisting the power of the Spirit. And we've got no obligation to that old self. Again, these verses could make us feel wobbly, couldn't they? You know, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's pretty stark words. But this isn't talking about the lapsing and falling into sin that we all do. The kind of giving into sin which grieves us and makes us miserable and we deeply regret. Now, this is talking about a willful disregard for becoming more like Jesus. It's talking about setting our lives up in ways that guarantee we'll sin. For those who don't care what the Spirit thinks, we are hostile to God, who have minds exclusively on what they want. Those who think like that, the warning is, you will die. But notice what the opposite of this. The command is not put to death the misdeeds of of the body. Look at the passage. The command is by the Spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the body. You can't do it on your own. You're not supposed to do it on your own. The Spirit of the living God is in you and beside you to help you. His presence in you makes it necessary and his presence in you makes it possible to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Holy Spirit leads us away from sin as he also leads us to call out to God as our Father. Away from sin, calling on God as our Father. Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So here's the great assurance the Holy Spirit gives us. He brings about our adoption. He makes us children of God. He doesn't just keep us in a holding pattern of holding pattern of barely discernible increase in godliness until we die, wondering if it will ever be enough. He makes effective in us what Jesus has done for us, bringing about a change in our status from enemies of God to children of God. And that means we are, verse 17, heirs with Christ. It means we share in his sufferings, rejected and hated for belonging to him. And we've seen that all over the news this week, haven't we? But in the end, we'll be glad of weeks like this week. We'll be glad of those sufferings as we also get to share in Jesus' glory. Now, this isn't some theoretical thing that might happen in the future, especially if you're good enough. Now, the promise is, this adoption, this will happen, has happened, because of what we already have, the Holy Spirit in us. So that means in the here and now, we don't have to live in fear as slaves. So instead of obeying because of fear of punishment, the only reason left to obey is out of love for our Heavenly Father. Instead of covering up our failures and running away from them, we can turn to God the Father for forgiveness. And we're empowered to do all this by our advocate, our helper, our kind of barrister, the Holy Spirit. We cry out to God as Father through Jesus by the Spirit. And in Jesus, we've got the perfect example of someone setting their mind on what the Spirit desires and putting to death his own desires and crying out to God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, contemplating his betrayal and death, Jesus said these words. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. When you came to put your trust in Jesus, he kept his promise and gave you the spirit to enable you to follow his example, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. To summarize then, I'll break. remind you of everything we've said through Jesus spirit has set us free it's a done deal there is no condemnation is there any condemnation no good the Holy Spirit makes real and actual in us what Jesus has made possible so if you're harboring any guilt or shame your deeds no longer condemn you your deeds no longer condemn you 
The Holy Spirit governs our minds, bringing us life and peace, acting powerfully in us to make us gradually more like Christ and deny sinful desires. The Holy Spirit leads us away from sin, meaning it's no longer hopeless to try and resist. And as you struggle, be encouraged that your struggle is a sign of life, of the Spirit at work in you, giving you life, convicting you, and helping you to change. And the Holy Spirit calls us to cry out to God intimately as our Father, knowing the promise inheriting glory with our brother Jesus. Free from condemnation, no longer on your own, but full of the life-giving Spirit and adopted as a child of God. This is the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these wonderful truths that belong to us. Lord, we kind of know them in our heads, but we forget, and sometimes we don't feel them. But please help us to keep trusting in you, to keep being transformed by your Spirit. Please help us um, be empowered by the Spirit to live for Jesus, be more and more like him, obeying not out of fear, but out of freedom the Spirit brings. Amen.